You are listening to episode 10 of Exit the Drinking Life. In this episode, I have the awesome opportunity to interview Jolene Parks, and she is a nutritionist as well as a health coach. She specializes in um, helping those high-functioning individuals in high-stress jobs who consider themselves gray area drinkers. And she also certifies people to help people in the gray area drinkers who want to add in the mind, body, whole balance with the, on the nutrient side of it. And this is why I took her certification program so I could add in some of those things as I help you guys and help my clients. And so we're going to talk a lot about that. And I have the show notes over at exitthedrinkinglife.com. And look for episode number 10 or 11. Sometimes the episode on the fly comes in there, messes up the number, but it's either going to be episode number 10 or number 11. Are you finding yourself drinking way more alcohol than you ever thought you would? Are you looking for a way to make alcohol an irrelevant part of your life? Then stay tuned because my name's Debbie Talbert and I've been right where you've been. And each week, I'm going to bring you episodes helping you to do just that, make alcohol irrelevant in your life. All right. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to be with you guys today on this episode. And we have an awesome guest with our, our, our with us today, and it is Jolene Parks. And I met Jolene by taking her gray area drinker's coach certification. And then now she has graciously offered and volunteered to be on the episode with us today. So Jolene, just let everybody know a little bit about yourself and kind of like your story around alcohol and why you no longer drink and how, why you exited the drinking life. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Debbie. It's great to be here with you. And so I stopped drinking um, almost five years ago. Uh, December 2019 will be my five-year anniversary. Wow. <laughs> big milestone is, is coming up at five years I can't believe it time flies um, December 2014 was when I made the decision um, and I really you know I've said before I knew in my bones I was done drinking there were many times and many years up before December 2014 where I had stopped and I would go a period of time, some weeks or months. One time I even went 18 months and without drinking. And then I would think, why am I being so restrictive? Like I can have a glass of wine and I would go back to drinking and I would quickly go back to the level that I was you know, drinking when I quit. And, and then it was escalating. It would become even more. And so um, basically, you know, I don't have a crash and burn story. I don't have kind of any, you know, dark, dark story necessarily around alcohol. I didn't go away to a treatment center. Um, I didn't, you know, kind of all the stereotypical stuff. Like there was no DUI. There was no work, um, you know, negative ramifications for drinking or, or anything like that. Um, but basically it was just very easy for me to drink a bottle of wine um, very frequently on um, you know, a lot of occasions. And as the years went on, it escalated. Uh, you know, early on, it kind of that started out as, as the end of the week. Like it's the end of the week and I'm just gonna open a bottle of wine and kind of finish it. Or, and then you know, there'd be these times where it's like, oh, I'll have a glass of wine or oh, screw it. Now that I've had that glass, I want two glasses. Now that two glasses are in me, you know, I'll just keep pouring. And um, so how easy it was for one glass, you know, 
coming into it saying, I'm just going to have one glass would turn into a bottle. And as the years went on, it started as kind of um, doing that weekly and then a couple times a week. And, and towards the end, when I quit, it was pretty easy most days to be doing that. So a handful of a bottle, you know, bottles of wine most weeks, four to five bottles. Um, I actually never really kept track. I wish I would have. I wish I would have tracked more <laughs> what I was drinking. But um, um, I didn't. But, you know, the thing was, was, you know, drinking that amount, kind of finishing off the bottle most nights by myself at home. It was the way I'd kind of downshift and unwind. Um, Nothing bad happened from doing that, but what happened, you know, externally, but what was happening internally was I felt physically awful. And, you know, I was like, I can't keep doing this. I, I, you know, I can't wake up and feel like this. And then the next day or next couple of days, I would do it again. And so that's what was, it, it wasn't that bad things weren't happening because internally, mentally, um, kind of that struggle within my myself, my own debate about, um, I, you know, I want to have a glass, but then it would end up being more than one glass and I didn't want to do that. And then I would feel awful. And that dance for so many years and I could stop and I would stop, but then I would go back to drinking and, and it just got to the point on December in December, um, 2014, I just said, I've, I've done this for so long and I've stopped and restarted and I know what happens every time I restart. It doesn't change. It always goes back to the same and I don't want to keep doing that. Um, through my forties, I felt like, you know, on some level I was a little bit on borrowed time. Um, you know, if I ever got pulled over, it was, yeah, I'd go out with friends and have a couple glasses and drive home and, and uh, you know, those couple glasses could have gotten me in huge trouble behind the wheel. Um, and also just my own health. Um, I was concerned about breast cancer. And um, so there were things about just, you know, my health and what I knew about alcohol and women's health with breast cancer. Um, nothing bad had happened, but it didn't mean I wasn't immune to it. And I just didn't want to kind of keep rolling the dice and, um, and feeling the way I was feeling and mentally kind of struggling with it. And um, I just felt like I wasn't an effective person drinking the way I was drinking. And I made the decision to stop. And, and I did stop and I haven't had a drink since. And I'm very committed to that and very resolute. And it's really been one of the best decisions I've made um, to take alcohol out of my life for good. Okay. And so then when you were, but so when you just stopped, what was the process like for you? Because I know you also are a nutrition, right? So you're a nutritionist. And so did you have internal conflict going on with that part too? And then... Yeah, so, you know, again, the, the big thing kind of in the moment, like, like right there kind of at that stop time, um, I, first of all, I, I didn't know it would be my last day of drinking. I, um, it was a week in December and I pretty much had a drink every drinks every day that week. And, um, it was Saturday. I had gone out with a friend, had some drinks with her, um, at lunch 
and I wanted to keep drinking more. And this is typically what, what I would do because I would drink to just kind of shut down my brain and to just really downshift. I wouldn't really drink for the social aspect. So when I drink, I would just kind of want to shut down, not have to like really necessarily be social or engage. And so I'd had a couple drinks, we'd kind of finished lunch. And then I went on to another place by myself purpose, you know, to have more drinks, which I did um, to just really kind of get that, like, you know, I just wanted to shut my brain down. It was the end of the week. And the next day, you know, woke up and it wasn't like a big drinking day on Saturday. It was a couple drinks um, that at lunch and that afternoon but I had been drinking every day that week. And on Saturday, I just felt so sick. On Monday, I still felt so sick. And even, oh. Monday, you know, and I said, I felt sick until Tuesday. And, um, and I was, and then what happened was this conversation, silent conversation with myself of, but what, you know, is this really it? Like, is this really it? Like, what about if I go away on a romantic holiday with, a uh, guy I'm dating, I wasn't dating anybody at that point, but what if, you know, in the future, am I really not going to like go to Italy with some guy and not drink? And I would pose this question to myself and I was like, no, this, this is it. I'm done because I've done that so much. I had done that of like when I would date of I'm drinking, I'm not drinking, or it's a holiday and I'm drink and I've had all those experiences and it just would never change. And, and I, and you know, I would go through these scenarios in my head of like, what if something really awful happens in my life, just, you know, in the future, um, un, un kind of predictable and just suddenly happens and it's, it's painful. Am I really not going to drink? And my answer was no. And, um, and I'm still very resolute about that. And, and of this thing of, you know, I have this conversation of no matter what happens in the future, good or bad and good and bad things will happen and have happened in the future. But alcohol, I knew, was no longer going to be an option. There are options to, to you know, when you go away on a romantic holiday, there's other things to do besides drink. When um, hor bad things happen, there are other options to soothe ourselves and, um, you know, to comfort. But alcohol wasn't the option. So of kind of your, to your question of, like, what was that quit point like for me? It was a very come-to-Jesus honest and raw conversation. Um, and I also didn't know it was my last day that day I was drinking, but because of how I felt those subsequent days after and just all the back and forth over the years, I knew on Tuesday, I knew in my bones I, that I was done. And I still feel that same level of res, you know, resoluteness. And, um, I'm so glad to not be on that merry-go-round because it just doesn't change because we get through kind of the hangover and feeling really bad and then don't drink for a while, come back and drink. And it always goes back to, for me, the same thing. It didn't matter what month it was, what season it was, what event was happening, what emotions were happening for me. That didn't matter. Um, it just always went back to kind of that same dance and that merry-go-round, which was just miserable. And um, I just knew I was, I was done. Now I can talk about the nutrition piece kind of next. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yes, I am a functional nutritionist. I've certified in nutrition in 1999 and have worked in corporate wellness 
um, since 2004 and, you know, was teaching wellness classes and love nutrition, love everything health and wellness, love reading about it, studying about it, which is a lot of my clients. You know, a lot of my clients are very high achieving professional women who are well read and studied and very savvy about kind of the latest whatever. Um, fitness trend or nutrition piece. They read about nutrition. They, you know, um, go on different retreats. And that was me. Um, and, you know, and I drank like most women around me. You know, my girlfriends and I, we were single in our early 40s. We would go out. It was kind of the book club drinking, the girls' night out. Nothing about it looked abnormal because it's the way women drink. It, um, it doesn't mean it's normal, but it's how most women drink today. That's how I drank. And I also taught wellness and, and nutrition. Um, so more and more, there was just kind of that internally kind of this misalignment with what I knew and, and understood about nutrition and wellness and then how I was feeling physically. So when I quit drinking, um, the first thing then in the next kind of weeks and, and early months, the thing that I went to was what I knew with functional nutrition, which is brain chemistry. And um, worked to boost my GABA because I knew my GABA was low. I had done testing on that in functional medicine, functional nutrition in my work. And um, when GABA is low, we often crave alcohol um, because that first drink, that first kind of 10 to 20 minutes of having alcohol in us feels like a GABA boost. It's kind of that warm honey feeling from head to toe and the mind just kind of dials down a couple notches and it's like we can have that exhale, our muscles relax. And that's why I wanted that red wine. It felt good. The effect was good. And what it feels like is a boost in GABA. GABA is our brain chemical that um, induces relaxation. And when we don't have a lot of GABA because we're sleep deprived, because we're um, eating a lot of sugar, because we're under a lot of stress, because our own biochemical kind of family dynamics, you, you know, we all have different biochemistries. Some families, um, you know, can be low serotonin. There can be more of a depression history. Some families can have that anxiety history, which I certainly came from. And so I was using alcohol to regulate my anxiety for that anti-anxiety effect. And when I quit drinking, I really drew heavily on what I knew about functional nutrition, pulling in, um, you know, GABA boosting pieces. So whether that was some supplements and I, I um, did some GABA boosting herbs that, that can give kind of more of that calming effect in my body. Um, one favorite herb that I really like is lemon balm. And it just has a natural kind of anti-anxiety producing effect. Um, another nutrient that I took was L-theanine, which um, you get from green tea, but they isolated out in a capsule. And I would actually just put that under my tongue. And um, especially at night, it would help me sleep. So I would, um, lemon balm, L-theanine were two favorites. And there's another nutrient called inositol, which is close to the B vitamin family, um, kind of a cousin to B vitamins, but it's not a B vitamin. Um, but there's really good data and research about inositol for helping panic and anxiety and helping boost GABA and kind of stop the ruminating spinning thoughts. Because another characteristic of anxiety is um, when our thoughts are just kind of over and over, like I'm not doing enough. I, I you know, need to lose more weight or be more rigid with whatever. That's a form of anxiety. And, and that's a form of my anxiety. It's just that mental rumination. 
and inositol just calms that down. So, you know, certainly those were, were some supplements that, that I went to. Um, what I know nutritionally, the, the basics, which, you know, most people listening um, know and hear, but they certainly help when you take alcohol out. Going back to the basics, eating three times a day, eating within an hour of waking, whatever that wake time is for you, eating midday, and then at the end of the day, and each time you eat, have a little protein because protein breaks down into amino acids. Amino acids are the raw materials for the brain. So doing some things like you know, eating regularly, getting some protein in, really staying hydrated with water, taking some nutrients that help boost GABA, um, that was my, real, my focus of helping me get through, kind of, especially the first 30 days, um, as my brain was kind of recalibrating um, from being really used to having wine on most days. And if I take that out, now I needed to add something in. Yeah, I know. And that's kind of what I found for myself too. But I did not have that, your nutritional knowledge at that time when I was going through mine. But I did notice that. I did notice. And I think that that's what the same reason you talk about like quieting the mind. I really think that, I don't know if it's mainly for women or if that's a lot of why we turn to over drinking. And especially like because that's exactly what happened for myself is i was trying to quiet the mind of all the chatter that would have in it and so yeah it was just it's just fascinating how we're like self-medicating ourselves and with wrong substances when there's actually you know nutritional items out there that could help us with that <laughs> you know quite but some of the other things i learned so and what i'll do in the show notes is i'll put a list of these these items that you mentioned for people so they can, because it's a lot to, if they're listening or driving or whatever, it's a lot to write down. But the, so these types of things will help calm your mind and calm your, like your anxiety, your, your anxious thoughts. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so then what, um, so then what other kind of thing, other, other things that people could do, like, because most of the people I work with are flying in the air. So I know that the, the dynamics of what goes in our body when we're up inside that tube compressed in the air is way is also a lot of stuff that goes on. So what would be some recommendations for that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I know that there's, so every industry drinks, um, no one's immune to it. Uh, and there's, you know, there's certainly a high level of drinking in, in the airline industry. And there, um, there's some, you know, physiologically our body goes through, different physiological changes when we're in out at altitude, when we're at high levels in pressurized um, environments. <laughs> and that impacts the oxygen level, it impacts the brain. And so, you know, my work is very much based in physiology. And, um, and that's where the neuroscience is right now. And, and when where so much of the data is with this whole thing about cravings and, and when certain when we reach to certain things and and everybody's reaching to something whether it's alcohol or sugar or cigarettes or pot or obsessive work um, obsessive exercise routines anything that's like um, in an obsessive excess way in in an attempt to regulate um, our body that doesn't feel good that's feeling agitated dysregulated anxious hypervigilant and so um, being at altitude <laughs> um, can, can invoke that, that dysregulated feeling. 
because um, it's put, you know, the body's in kind of the, this different environment. And so then we want to come back into homeostasis and a quick and easy thing that where we get an immediate effect can be alcohol. Um, the problem is it's false positive and, and <laughs> yeah. it's not long lasting and, and it actually depletes things more than it boosts things. So then it's going back and looking at what's getting depleted and um, deficient in the first place in a pressurized cabin <laughs> or any environment. So, you know, again, the work you're doing, Debbie, is, is working with flight attendants, but, but it's about whatever environment we're in. So people may not be at 35,000 feet, but they could be in an environment in, in an office setting where it's incredibly toxic. The stress is very toxic and that environment is impacting their, their body. So the environment in an airplane can impact us, but we're very resilient. I'm not saying don't fly, <laughs> I fly. <laughs> you know? but the environment in, in a work situation or the environment with a certain intimate relationship. So environments, this is where the science says the environment is what affects our physi physiology. And so to your question about, you know, when we're flying and, and that thing of, uh, you know, how to kind of help our body then regulate. And especially if we have, uh, as women, our minds are whirling and spinning and thinking of the, you know, to-do list that's 18 miles long and, and that, um, along with some of the, the nutrients to help calm the mind and you know, I, I talked about a couple, but there's many out there. The second thing that, that I'd recommend is, I, I do a somatic practice. Somatic means body. So it's working with the body to help the body feel calm. And when the body's calm, the mind can be calm. And so um, a, just a, a quick practice um, to do is if you can put your feet on the ground right now as you're listening to this, whether you're in an airplane or in your living room <laughs> or outside, you know, walking on cement or grass. It doesn't matter. Wherever you are, put your feet on the ground that's underneath you right now. And then notice what that ground feels like. So carpet feels very different than asphalt. And when we bring our attention to that and really notice the sensation of the ground, and notice if there's tingling under our foot or if there's a temperature change or our toes gripping a little bit. Can we release what's gripping on our toes? And just notice the sensation on the bottom of the foot starts to bring our mental energy to the ground. And when we're feeling frantic and really spun up and, and wound up about something in our head, coming down to the ground. So literally getting our feet on the ground and noticing the texture, the sensation of that ground that we're on, kind of mentally noting it, putting our hands on the ground or sitting on the ground or even standing or sitting on dirt or grass or sand is grounding. And people may have heard, you know, I, um, you're not grounded or you need to be more grounded. And a real practical way to help the body feel grounded, which then helps the muscles relax and feel calm, is to literally get on the ground, bring your attention to the ground, and then that calms the body, which calms the mind. So it's a simple technique. There's many, but it's a place to start anywhere, anytime. Standing in line at the grocery store, if you're on an airplane, if you're in your house, bring your attention to the ground. Let your breath do what it knows to do, and that starts to calm your body 
And that can be the entryway in to then doing a lot of other things like breath work and, and meditation and, and all that. Okay, so what you're saying is just basically like if just say on the airplane person, just put your feet on the ground. Is it all right to leave your shoes on? Should they leave their shoes on? Like I wouldn't personally take my oh. shoes on the airplane, but and so notice the ground, just the fact that your foot's on the ground and what does that feel like with your foot on the ground? Yeah. It's really the okay, and so that does kind of ground you. And I also think that what that does is it also takes you out of your head, right? So it leave you can't because you can't really do think of two things at the same time. Like even though we think we can multitask, we're really not. But so like so that takes you out of your headspace and puts you to where like even your foot and that's so exactly that help to calm the body and the sensations in the body. That's exactly it. Nutritionally wise, like should we drink more water? have more vitamins like vitamin B, vitamin D, like, cause I did notice even for myself when I was tested and I live in Florida. Okay. But I was vitamin D deficient. Like, it's not like I live where it's cloudy all the time. Like, so I'm, so there, are there any in particular that maybe would depleted from being in the air pressure all the time? Vitamin specific? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, and I don't know that I have that kind of off the top of my head. Um, okay. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in biochemical individuality. Um, and so just because we're in an airplane doesn't mean everybody in that airplane is going to be deficient in a certain vitamin. Um, okay. But knowing what your individual biochemistry is depleted in can be very helpful then in understanding a little bit then why, why, why we might be reaching for alcohol or something else. Because the way I work is, is very much, you know, working with clients of finding kind of what has been depleted and deficient biochemically. So is in our brain chemistry, is our serotonin been depleted? Has our GABA been depleted or dopamine? Are there certain hormones like cortisol? That's the adrenaline, the adrenal hormone, that stress hormone. Is that dysregulated? Is cortisol really high or really low? Is insulin, blood sugar, up or down? Do we have low blood sugar, high blood sugar? Um, any other hormones like our thyroid hormone or things? And so, yes, being in an airplane can, can impact those things, but it doesn't mean everybody in the airplane is going to have a thyroid that's impacted. But what we want to know is what then for, for you, if you're really, you know, struggling with alcohol and you're flying a lot, what biochemically is, um, is, you know, depleted because the kind of the, the area of study that I come from is looking at physiology first and then psychology, because our physiology impacts our psychology. So for instance, if our vitamin D is low, we know that then depression can be higher. So um, potentially, instead of starting with, um, I'm going to cognitively think positive thoughts to override my depression, if we, if we physiologically know that vitamin D is low and just bump up vitamin D, all of a sudden depression could be um, you know, reduced by a significant amount. And then still we want to work on positive thoughts, but right. we want to go in and, and boost and support the physiology because often when things are imbalanced, our thyroid, our vitamin nutrient levels, our brain chemicals, we can then have mood and kind of 
the psychology pieces, the anxiety, the depression, and then we try to chase it with some psychology, but starting with physiology, it's just like having a cold. When we physically get over the cold and feel better, it's then easier to do some of the emotional stuff. So my answer to you know that is what gets depleted in the airplane, it depends on you and your body. So going in, having a blood test, knowing kind of where your thyroid levels are, where your B12 level is, that um, um, is connected with energy, it's connected with depression, know where your vitamin D level is, and then knowing what, because of that level, where then you want to kind of boost up some nutrients, and that right there can make you feel much better. And when you feel much better, um, it reduces some of the likelihood then on, some, on one level of not wanting to reach to a substance to try to feel better. Because again, a symptom of low B12 is your energy's low. We might feel more depressed. And so it's like, I just, I'm tired. My energy's down. I'm feeling, my mood is really blue. I'm going to have a glass of wine. And if I affect <laughs> that B12, that all starts to level out. And then it's not such a, I need the wine because you're already feeling better physically. So that's how I work is, is very much on the physiology with the nutrients nutrition wise, but then also with the somatic. So the somatic again, meaning body, and that's working on the emotional fight, flight, freeze. So if, if we're used to, we feel stressed and then we want to flee and jump out of it, or we want to freeze and kind of numb with it, what are then some ways to regulate our body? Nutrients are one way, but then other ways could be learning some practices like grounding our feet. Because when, like you said, when we bring that mental energy out of the mind and bring it to our feet, then our body starts to feel different. The muscles start to relax a little bit, they, they unclench. And when the muscles feel better, the body feels better, the mind feels better. Like if I told you, Debbie, to just relax and mentally just do that, sometimes that can make us feel more stressed. But if you bring your attention to your feet and you actually feel a shift in your body, that's much more powerful than me telling you intellectually. Yeah. <laughs> to feel a shift. So it's working with the somatic, um, learning how to work with our stress response by learning um, some techniques to work with the muscles, the breath, and you know parts where we actually feel a shift. Because when we drink, we feel a shift. So now it's learning other ways. Um, it's not just like you stop drinking, then you jump off a cliff and you know, good luck. But there's these other pieces to bring in that you can also feel a shift. You can also feel an effect and you actually feel it. It's not me telling you to try to feel it, but you actually um, feel it. So I work very much of what are the things we can add in when we stop drinking that give us an effect that help us feel more calm and slow the mind down and help some of the anxiety. Okay, awesome. Because that's one. That was one of my like favorite parts about your training that I took with you was kind of learning about all of that stuff. Because a lot of that I did not know. Like I didn't, I, I mean, I knew my own personal vitamin D level was low and I have a wacky thyroid, but I didn't really realize how much all of that like affected us in our, our desires for what we wanted to reach for. Like how it was causing us to think, oh, I need that. I need a cookie. I need salt. I need, and it's because of what, I mean, it makes logical sense, but I didn't really put it all together. And yeah, so, so traditionally we beat ourselves up as willpower, weak-willed, and we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, 
and be stronger and, and overcome that desire for the cookie or the glass of wine. And the body's a brilliant machine. The body is always trying to keep us at kind of a baseline optimal, optimal health. And so when something dips, you know, below baseline or it peaks and rises above baseline, the body says alarm, alarm, alarm signal. We've got to bring that back to, you know, write that course again. And so the way that it communicates with us to do that is something's off. We've got to bring something in to help bring that level up or bring it back down. And then that speaks to us through cravings. Yeah. And, so, and so the body knows kind of short term, a glass of wine mimics and feels like a feeling of GABA. And the, GABA, and the body's like, well, let's try that because that's what we're low in. But unfortunately, it's not quite the right match. There are other, we need that GABA boost. Alcohol doesn't do it, but we need to understand and, and do a little investigating of what the body's really deficient in. And then when we know, then we can go in and give the nutrients, give the practices, the tools, the exercises that truly boost GABA, that truly help the thyroid. And when those things are at baseline and balanced, the cravings aren't as intense. Right. Yes, I have noticed that since I've started implementing some of the things that I learned, it's been uh, like the thyroid. I doesn't feel. I don't feel as tired all the time, and and it's really not. I'm not on more thyroid medicine either, I'm, because according to the like the medical levels, as far as the blood level goes, it's fine, but it still was kind of off. And then when I started doing some of the grounding and adding in some of the supplements, that's where the shift started to happen. Yeah. for me in it and so if somebody was going to go to their doctor and ask for a test to what to look for what specifically should they ask them i mean i, well, I had the b12 the thyroid and the d and then oh, is there a test for like the gaba and the serotonin and that that they could ask for specifically? yeah there are we can um so the doctors who will do that are more integrative um, so there are medical doctors who have gone to medical school, but they're interested in a little bit more of this mind-body approach. Um, so often a traditional medical doctor um, won't know what you're asking if you ask for a neurotransmitter, um, neurotransmitter being brain chemicals, um, you know, a, a lab test. But how we measure it is through the urine. So we're doing a 24-hour urine collection to see in a 24-hour period how um, how much of the brain chemicals we're, we're dumping out of our urine. The, the higher the level, like if GABA is really high, it means we're dumping a lot of that in a 24-hour period. So um, that test can be done, that urine test, uh, and it's often done through what we call a functional medicine doctor. So they're doing medicine, but in a little bit more of a functional approach, looking for kind of that preventative um, type thing as opposed to treating the crisis disease. So I'd encourage people to um, seek out a, like a naturopath or a medical doctor who has an integrative functional approach. Um, but you can also take a, a neurotransmitter quiz online, which um, we find correlates very well with the urine test. And so you can um, Google Eric Braverman. He's a medical doctor in New York, and he wrote the book called The Edge Effect. And I use his quiz often with clients. And in his book, you can also uh, get the book. He, he has the neurotransmitter quiz, but you can also search it and take it online. And they find that, that the quiz correlates and matches up um, 
very well to the urine test. So for example, if someone um, is low in serotonin in their, in their urine, 24 hour urine collection, and then we give them the, the quiz, we find that on the quiz, they come up also low in serotonin. So they, they match up. So you don't necessarily have to do the urine test um, to just kind of, uh, you know, a little more inexpensive and to just get a, a, a bit of an idea of where your brain chemistry might be. I'd encourage you to look at Eric Braverman's work. And again, the book is called The Edge Effect. Okay. Okay. So they can check out The Edge Effect and then find what they need to find, like through that. Because uh, my hunch is um, it might be a little more challenging to find the medical professionals that would be willing to do. <laughs> I'm not sure. I haven't actually looked myself, but because um, I did the I did the the test with the the stuff that we did together, but um, it might be a little more challenging. But for at least people have an avenue. Yeah, with my clients, I use the test, um, the quiz, and um, and then also you know with my coaching too. I've been working with clients for um, three over three years now. And, um, you know, just working with, with high achieving professionals who are working to quit drinking, there's, there's certain characteristics that, that I often see and people will, you know, they'll say, I tend to be more anxious or more depressed. And so, um, you know, again, sometimes it doesn't have to be uh, real complicated medical testing. There's just when people know that they're an anxious person, there are some nutrients to try. There are some practices to try some different tools and techniques when we know we're anxious. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And then I just had one to go that go off of like the nutritional side and kind of go into the, like the, the gray area drinking. Cause you kind of, you did the Ted talk on that. And then that's how I found you just kind of give people like a, a I haven't actually talked about that yet on the podcast. So this will be like, I mean, I know exactly what it is, but I haven't actually done a whole episode on gray area drinking yet. So yeah. if you go a little bit into that so people can get an idea because really I think that most of us are kind of in the middle in that gray area when we're experiencing the things that, that you and I experienced with yeah. our drink. I, I definitely identify as, as a gray area drinker. Um, I also do a podcast called Edit, Editing Our Drinking in Our Lives. I co-host with um, a woman, her name is Aiden Donnelly Raleigh. She and I both um, identify with, with that where as I kind of explained a bit of how I drank, you know, when we started in the beginning of the interview, um, Aiden has a very similar story to that. Um, neither one of us went away to a treatment center when we stopped drinking. We, you know, we were able to stop and, and did stop on our own. Um, but it doesn't mean that we didn't have a problem with, with alcohol. And so um, traditionally there, there's been kind of the two buckets of definition of people, either they're normal drinkers or they're an alcoholic. And what, um, you know, we've kind of come to find and what more and more people are talking about online right now is that, um, and, and I certainly, you know, um, see that most people are, you know, a, a, the way I kind of say a normal drinker is kind of somebody who might have a drink and then not drink again for months. And they have a drink and, you know, they, they don't have a second drink or think about when they're going to drink again or, or kind of binge. It's just like they truly just have a drink and then don't think about it. I don't know a lot of people like that. And I also don't know a lot of people who have, uh, you know, are on a park bench and their eyes are yellow with jaundice because they've drank themselves into such a literal pickle 
with alcohol and they've gotten to a real end stage, um, you know, place with alcohol. But who I do know is many, 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 many people in between those two. So we've had kind of these two extreme things of like you're a normal drinker, which most people aren't because there is no safe recommended intake of alcohol, period. That's CDC, um, World Health Organization, not my opinion, but there's no safe intake. So to say we're normal drinkers, if we're drinking, we're on the spectrum. And, um, and then, you know, most people are in at kind of that end stage ad addicted level. But where most people are is they're drinking somewhere in there in the gray area, gray area drinking. That's not normal. That's not necessarily, that's not healthy, but they're functioning. Nothing negative or bad has happened. They can stop drinking. They do stop drinking. Um, but it, you know, it's not end stage alcoholism. And so that's what I work with. That's, um, the clients that, you know, that I coach and, and train other practitioners to work with that demographic and, um, and find, especially in the professional realm, um, in every industry, the legal industry, the health industry, um, healthcare is huge. Um, airline industry, restaurant industry, <laughs> uh, engineering, I mean, you name it. It's, we're gray area drinking. People are functioning, they're getting to work every day, but the amount that they drink, um, you know, most days or weeks is over the recommended limit and is binge drinking and it's heavy, risky um, drinking. So for women, um, two five ounce glasses of wine, most restaurants don't pour five ounces, most people at home don't pour five ounces, it's not a lot. But two five-ounce glasses of wine um, for women every day is heavy, risky drinking. So it does not take a lot to, to get down that spectrum. But, um, but alcohol, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope, and, and there's a real gray area with it. Yeah. That's, but I'm really glad, though, that you did your TED Talk and you brought that out into the world and kind of, you know, kind of made it, like, more acceptable to talk about. And... Um, where other people can kind of find a way to seek, find help. So if people want to reach out and know more about it, where can they, how can they get a hold of you? And how can they find you? So I'm at healthydiscoveries.com. That's my uh, consulting company and, and where I do my, my coaching and my training. And all the information is, is on my website. I work with people one-on-one. -on -one. I have an online community uh, called Nourish Your Cravings, a community for former gray area drinkers. So people who have now stopped drinking, they were in the gray area. They don't necessarily identify or resonate with traditional 12-step or recovery groups, but they want a group. They want a community of others who drank in this gray area and to you know, be able to talk about it and have, have that like-minded connection and then have ongoing content. Just because we stop drinking doesn't mean things just fall into place and it all works out. Um, yeah. We still have stress. We still have anxiety. And so in that online community, I teach classes. I bring in guest experts to talk about things like nutrition, to talk about emotion, emotional health, relationships, finances, um, often with a real somatic approach, the, you know, of that fight, flight, freeze response, changing some of those patterns, how we use money, how we engage in relationships. And so it's those next steps after we stop drinking um, that community is, you can find that at healthydiscoveries.com. And then I also do um, a coach training for healthcare practitioners and coaches who want to work with gray area drinkers um, 
and learn more about this physiology and, and working with the body to support people so they can really thrive uh, post-alcohol. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. And it's really been very, very informative. And I'll have the show notes in with links for everything so people can have access to that. Wonderful. Over. Thank That's you. Amazing. That was some amazing information, huh? Remember, you can find the information, the show notes, links to the nutritional supplements, the kit store, everything you need that you want to reference that was referred to in this episode is over at exitthedrinkinglife.com and look for either episode number nine or episode number 10 because this is showing up over on Simple Cash where I put all the episodes there with show notes for you guys to get to. So exitthedrinkinglife.com and check out episode number nine or number 10. And in the show notes there, I have links to everything that we referenced here in this episode.